707. 707. So much to talk about tonight, guys. It's time for Iron Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike Balsamo, Sean LaGrega. Got you covered as well. Errol Egan is our chief of master controls. Got Ben the intern in tonight. We got to come up with uh, some kind of awful nickname for him. Huge show on tap for you tonight. Final four. Got a really good glimpse of what's about to happen over the next couple of weeks. Of course, Ira will be here to talk about that. Our good friend Mike Isolino, coach at Robert Morris. We hope he can pop by later. Ira said he's doing something kind of important tonight, though. May have to blow us off. Players, you want to be playing right this time of year. He's actually working. (laughs) Yeah, he's doing some actual work. uh, Not hanging out with here uh, with his buddies on on a Monday night. Also, a very special guest, Mike Iavarone. He's a former owner of IEAH Stables. You may know them from having Big Brown, one of the best horses ever. Uh, Took a really serious shot at the Triple Crown. He's going to come by just about seven thirty-five to discuss the Florida Derby, which happens this Saturday, and the Kentucky Derby, which is just five weeks away. We always start the show off with Ira, where you been. But before that, I want to talk about a little something. I love defunct sports franchises. Sean knows this. I love the Montreal Expos, the Houston Oilers. Today, I'm wearing a Hartford Whaler shirt. Ira, every time I wear this shirt, at least one person will stop me in the street. With a random comment, today, I left the office three times. Three times. Someone came up to me. Oh, my God. I used to live in Schenectady. I would drive and see them. Brendan Shanahan. I, like, Where'd you get that shirt from? Isn't it funny how sports is that common denominator, Ira? It doesn't matter who you are. If you see somebody on the street that is doing something sports-related that you can relate to, you're okay to approach a stranger. You don't do that with anything else. Well, that's why I love sports. I mean, we're going to talk about so much today, everything that happened this week, and that's one of the greatest things when I go to sporting events. I I hate when someone says, I hate these fans, I get in fights. I think the common denominator is that you actually enjoy watching sports. You have teams at the competing to go to the NCAA finals, and they're from different schools and different backgrounds. But everyone just loves the fact the competition, loves the games. I never criticize another person's fans. I, I, the Cowboys, Sean loves the Cowboys. I respect the Cowboys. <laughs> oh, fans. I criticize him all the time for that. If you're, I'm passionate about sports. If you're as passionate as I, I respect course, you. Like yeah. that's awesome, and I think that's great. It, that is a good point, though. And when we talked about it on the show before, you know, Yankees and Red Sox fans, there's no real animosity no. there. They're all educated fans. You can have, you can rib them. But you're not worried about getting in a fight outside the stadium like you would in Philly. I think Yankee and Red Sox fans bash their own team more than they bash the <laughs> yeah, other exactly. team. But because yeah. we're realistic fans. I hate, yeah. the, I hate the person who's a... Knowledgeable I, fans. We're knowledgeable. We know our teams inside and out. We can tell you who our third reliever is. You know what I mean? That's, <laughs> that's the difference between us and, and a lot of other fans where, um, you know, where that's where it comes from, right? where you respect these other teams. I, it's not even just so much like this team's fans I respect. I respect the fan that knows what they're talking about, that can well, come in unbiased and have an actual intellectual conversation about sports and their team with you. It's one of the reasons that... Um, football is not one of my favorite things to talk about in public because every Tennessee Titans fan is going to the Super Bowl. And in their, you know what I mean? Like, it's time to be realistic. And as Giants, Cowboys, and Steelers fans, we go in, man, our team sucks this year. We'll be lucky to win eight games. Of course, we win 12. But we're looking at it like, man, this, these guys are dumpsters. So I have a funny story related to that and, and talking about sports as a common denominator. When I first moved here, my cousin and I are at uh, Yard House. We're watching the Giants game. There's a guy across the bar from us, like 50 feet away, and he starts screaming at us. He's a Giants fan. He's got all his stuff on. Two years later, we're at a game with him in Atlanta. Some random guy we met at a bar. It's just things like that will not happen anywhere else. That's why everyone here loves sports. This is Ira on Sports, 7-11, 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike and Sean as well. Okay, Ira, favorite part of the show. 
You put some uh, frequent flyer miles on your on your well, account this weekend. Didn't not you? just frequent flyer. On Thursday, I was at the Elite Eight games in I mean the Sweet Sixteen games in Los Angeles, the Staples Center, and then on on uh, on Saturday, I was at the, again for the Elite Eight game between Michigan and Florida State, and then took a red eye to <laughs> Miami and took my parents to see the Venus Williams match in Key Biscayne. So at the Miami Open, so that was tough because I had no sleep before to watch the a great tennis match. It, it's I don't know how you do it. Uh, yeah, no sleep is not even the word for it. Ira, tell us about the Michigan game. First of all, you love the Staples Center. Oh, no. <laughs> well, you know, I'm playing this song because <laughs> certainly it gets real now. I was in Pittsburgh for the first two rounds, and it's nice. Teams are there. They're excited. It's oh, it's the NCAA, and a lot of people are playing it during the day. But when you get to the Sweet 16, that's when it really gets serious. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it was – the Michigan fans, they got serious. They took over the Staples Center. The song goes this, hail to the victors, Valiant. <laughs> hail to the conquering heroes. Hail, hail to Michigan, the leaders and the best. Then it goes, hail the victors, Valiant. Hail the conquering heroes. Hail to Michigan, the champions of the West. That's in their song. Now, I don't know how many people consider Michigan West. I mean, I didn't, you know, I think people in California would think that after you're flying three, four hours over the air, that if that's West, I don't know what we're <laughs> at right now. But well, when but, was Michigan founded? Because it was like the 1800s. <laughs> Good point. Well, I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty far west. At that but point. whatever it was, they. It, they had about <laughs> they controlled the Staples Center they fans were there yeah, they, I they think travel the, well they travel well there's a big alumni in, in California and that was their their playpen really for you had said that a lot of the games you've been to were fairly balanced when it is bigger name schools but maybe FSU just isn't a basketball school you think that was part of it well Gonzaga well even in the first four games Gonzaga I thought would have the most fans there yeah. Michigan had more fans than Texas A&M and Florida State even on Thursday night hmm. so I mean the first game was on Thursday Michigan Texas A&M. Texas A&M just beat North Carolina by a million points. They were, this is defending national champions. They embarrassed. They made North Carolina tap out. They were so embarrassed. Michigan destroyed them. This was yeah. not even a game. There was no run. It was over. It was 44 to 18, and it was like a 30-point lead. It felt the entire game. There was no comparison in terms of what happened during that game. It was one of the most blowouts I've ever been. There was no run. Texas A&M did not have a fight. They didn't do anything during the game. And then, you know, Michigan ended up shooting at 60% for the game. It was crazy. And then Florida State-Gonzaga, that that's a game. You know, Gonzaga's a, a four-seed. They're 32-4. and four. Mm-hmm. They're, They came out there because they couldn't shoot. They shot 33%. Yeah. They lost 75-60. And I, I think Gonzaga fans were shocked. They thought this was, we're the Western team in this tournament. Mm-hmm. We're the ones who were going to go out. They thought this was their regional. They couldn't come through. Then on Saturday, Michigan-Florida State, and it was interesting. What makes it so interesting about this game was I'm sitting behind the Florida State bench. I'm like seven rows behind Leonard Hamilton. All Michigan fans around me. (laughs) Those issues with the timeouts and everything, usually when you're sitting behind a team's bench, those first 10, 15, 20, 30 rows are all those teams. But they were all Michigan fans, all sitting there. So as you could see during the game, it was hard for him to communicate with his players (laughs) because the fans were so loud. They were very, very, very loud. I have to give, and I got to give Cam- Hamilton's getting 
criticized today because at supposedly with 10 seconds, 10 seconds to go in the game, he didn't have his team foul someone. I'm going to explain what happened at that. And then during the interview afterwards with Dana Jacobson, he was harsh to her, didn't give a great answer. But I actually thought he coached a great game. His substitutions, he was running players in and out. Mm -hmm. He was doing everything. Whereas Michigan hit Texas A&M and Texas A&M didn't get off the mat. They hit Florida State and Florida State kept battling in the game. And even at this one point at the 1549 mark, they were up by, they were down by like six and then they were down by 10. He called um, two timeouts in a row with a TV timeout, blew all his timeouts just to hang in the game, which hmm. is pretty amazing. But it was interesting is that with 54-46, a minute 38 to go in the game, the Florida State fans were leaving. They're up eight, minute and a half to go, no chance. Then he starts fouling. So then the intentional fouls, he fouls Simpson, he misses a one-on-one. Rockman misses a shot. Rockman misses a one-on-one. And then with a, a minute to 17 to go, Florida State cut the lead to 55-52. So then the last like a minute or 30 seconds, they had missed four free throws and two one-on-ones. Well, when finally Michigan scored, when Michigan when um, when it was 50, when it was fifty eight fifty four, and Michigan the Robinson got the rebound, they didn't foul him because I'm sure they were telling the players, "Don't foul anybody." Red Robinson, everyone was missing, <laughs> so there was eleven seconds to go, and the best player for Michigan happened to get that rebound, and so they probably were waiting for him to pass the ball, but yeah. there was ten seconds, there was a little confusion. So when Hamilton was asked that question, I thought, you know, I think that. Well, the fan, you know, I think that when Hamilton was asked that question, he just he didn't want to throw his players on the bus because they probably said foul anybody but Robinson, and then Robinson ended up getting the ball, and then there was a delay. But I, I, I'm not going to criticize Hamilton. I thought his interviews. I think he's getting criticized totally unfairly for his, even his answer. Errol, our chief of master controls, I uh, pop the question up to you about the fans causing an issue with them getting a timeout off. Um, no, I don't. Th- I think it was it was noisy and loud, and the players were definitely. I'm sitting right behind the bed, so I saw when when Robinson got the rebound. Now he had just sunk two. Everyone else missed foul shots. He made two. So the players looked to the bench. Hamilton was calling, say to, saying to foul. But mm. by the time he actually said foul, there was four seconds, and then Michigan threw the ball down. Now they were smart to get the ball out. Exactly. So, a lot is being blown up about this. <laughs> I, I do think it's more of a non-issue at that point. Seven seventeen. It's Iron Sports ninety five nine, the True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean, we are here as well. Mike E. Averone, uh, owner of Big Brown, he's going to join us about seven thirty five. Also, Indomit and Sue has a landing spot. We'll talk about that coming up in just a minute because it wasn't what we've been talking about the past four days about where that uh, buffalo of a human being was going to end up. <laughs> Ira, you want to move on to the to the South Region? Yeah, and want to talk about Loyola because. I, this is I, a, I love this. Well, because I've been hearing this is bad for the NCAA. This is bad. Loyola, I, I don't get it. Loyola right now is playing, I think, as good a basketball, except really? for Villanova and Loyola. Like, I mean, if you just watch the games, and I watch the games, if you watch what Loyola's doing, first of all, they're talented players, and they're playing great. And this is what gets me, is that mid-majors have this impossible task, or the small schools. The majors just play each other, okay? They play in their conference, or whenever they play each other, as a neutral site, or when there is the Big East ACC Challenge. And then, order, and then they pay people to come to their arenas to play them. They play the small schools, which mm. knows that they're going to get easy wins. So they just build this high RPI, and they keep saying, we're major schools, we're so good. We're amazing. But, you know, Loyola is not, this is not the first time that a mid-major has gone through. Gonzaga in 99, 2000, 2001. That's, when, that's what put them on the map. They were at 10th, 11 seeds. They made the Sweet 16s. Then they said, oh, my God, maybe they're really good. So now they're two, three, and two seeds. And, and they, were, they were a one seed last year and lost in the championship game. George Mason in 2006 as an 11th seed beat Michigan State, North Carolina, Connecticut to go to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. In 2010 and 11, Butler made the national championship game as a five and eight seed. Now, one common denominator 
of these teams is Brad Stevens is one of the greatest well, I was going to say, you know, anyone who said they don't like mid-majors, sure. Brad Stevens is the best coach in the NBA right now. So <laughs> it does something for people. Of it does. And it maybe shows how good they are, the fact that they're getting there. And 2011 Virginia Commonwealth, um, they they were 11 seed and they beat Kansas and made, so it made it to the they made it to the national championship game. So they're not the only thing. Now, let's look at Loyola for a second. This Porter Moser guy who's the coach, he's been there for seven years. He... Chicago has been the hotbed of basketball. There's yeah. great players. Yeah. But what name me, what's the college basketball team in Chicago? Now, years ago, there's a school, DePaul was there. Yeah. DePaul, when I was young, was amazing. They won, they won like Quinn Richardson. Quinn Richardson. Stevens went there. Mark Aguirre. Everyone was DePaul. They were, they were, they were tremendous. They were a perennial top 25 team for a few years. From 77 to 82, DePaul went 132 and 15 and were ranked number one every year. They were like the Connecticut of mm. men's basketball yeah. with getting just Chicago kids. I mean, and that was amazing. And then Illinois, we heard about how yeah. they were. But the last few years, DePaul has been, they haven't won 12 games in a decade. The last four <laughs> years, they've won 9, 9, and 11, and 9 games. Illinois has won 14 games this year. So what does Porter and Moses do? Loyola of Chicago. He starts recruiting Chicago kids. And if you're looking to go to a program, you're like, wow, this seems like a good program. I'm going to go to that. So he was able to get this Milton Doyle, who was a top recruit, who's not on this team, but who sort of built the things. And mm-hmm. then he gets this Ben Richardson and Clayton Cruster, who went to Kansas City, who played been playing together forever. And then he gets Dante Agram, Lucas Williams, and, and, the, and Cameron Crutwick, all from the Chicago area. They all came in. So suddenly he's getting the really good Chicago kids. So yeah. people think this team is just, oh, there's no talent. There's no big name stars. There's no whatever. These these are kids that are juniors and seniors that are very, very talented. I think Crutwig could play in the NBA. I mean, I, they, huh. they do have players that I think definitely could somehow find they're talented and they're playing well together. So yes. to me, it's not, you know, in, they, Loyola was 32 and 5. They haven't lost since January 3rd. They beat Florida in Florida uh, by 6 on December 3rd. And, you know, I just think I like what Sister Jean's wrote. She goes, <laughs> Sister Jean. She wrote, this is her great comment. She goes, Height doesn't mean much. You're good jumpers, you're good rebounders, you're good at everything. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> And then that, so now she's become very famous. But look, look at Loyola, you know, Loyola K State, you know, that was a total. I didn't start right. Loyola and K State was a total blowout. I mean, yeah. you're, you're saying, "Oh my God, this uh, this this mid-major team made some crazy shots and whatever." They beat K State 36 to 28 on rebounds. At one point, K- Loyola had 32 of their 54 points in the paint. They weren't just throwing up lucky three pointers. They were actually winning the game. I'm going to give you some amazing stats. We're going to talk what about this got? later. That three-point shooting, three-point. Florida State in the Elite Eight shot four for 18. Michigan, 4 for 22. Duke, 7 for 29. Kansas, 13 for 36. Texas Tech, 5 for 20. Nova, 4 for 24. Kansas State, 6 for 26. So wow. everyone, no one, I mean, they're shooting like 20%, 10%, whatever. Loyola shot the least amount of three-pointers, only 18, but made the most of them, nine. Yeah. That's so, crazy. So that's a good me, stat. That and, even, a, and even during the season, I mean, they're 40% from three, and that's what we talked about when we talked about the first-round upsets. I mean, I'm a Gator fan, and I watch them you know, hit three after three after three. When this team gets hot, and they're shooters, I mean, that's what they are. This team is, this team is, is, is stacked of shooters, and if you're going to hit 50% of your three-pointers, especially in this tournament, that's how you're going to advance. 
And nobody else is making threes. Not even, <laughs> not, not even close. close. And we're going to and we're, and we're talk about t- Duke Kansas in one second. We'll return to that. But what do these teams who watch these games is what I what I critical about college basketball. These teams just go down and fire up threes. They're All not day, running yeah. plays. They're not working for shots. All they are is trying to fire up threes. Yeah, and that's what happens, especially in the tournament. You could have a, a well fundamental put, you know, uh, you know, uh, transition of series back and forth, and then all of a sudden in college basketball, it's the sloppiest basketball you'll see mm-hmm. for like a five minute stretch. So. Um, you know, when you have a team that's kind of shooting lights out like this and doesn't have to play in Arizona, doesn't have to play in Virginia, and kind of has an easier path. I wasn't so surprised with K-State. I mean, I think K-State was overrated all year. You know, so to see that discrepancy between Loyola and them wasn't a big shock for me. I, what do you, I mean, do you want to move on to Duke, Kansas? I know I don't know if you want to talk about Duke, Kansas. <laughs> I, I don't, you were very quiet in our group text during this game. Oh. Well, I was watching it at the Rusty Pelican, you know, had the view of Key Biscayne and the boats going across and, you know, luxurious in terms of beautiful. But the Duke play was awful. Duke looked terrible. Things that I have been critical of them for years, yeah. just every problem came up. Uh, their their ability, uh, first of all, the shots. Trent, 18. I like Trent. I think he's great. Duvall, 16 shots. Allen, 13 shots. Bagley and Carter, 9 Trent each. took ugly horrible even uncontested just ugly shots and i was amazed by that especially like towards the end of the game but bagley was guarded by mcculloch most of the game mcculloch yeah. gives up four inches but mcculloch's not gonna be playing the nba mm-hmm. and they did not push the ball into bagley now people are saying well bagley didn't want the ball if that was shaquille o'neal he would have demanded it but all i saw was allen and duvall making mistakes allen firing up shots left he was three for 13 yes that's all i saw he 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 i think his last points came at like uh eight minutes to go in the first and then he scored another bucket with like three seconds three, yeah like th- with three minutes left in the game so i it like where did Allen go? I mean, this was your this was your leader for the past how many years and, you know, came out this hot freshman and towards his senior year. I mean, I don't even know if this guy gets drafted at that point. <laughs> well, Duke, including the Syracuse game, at one point Duke had missed 18 of 23 points. Yes, In the first half. And Duke. Duke, yeah. of all teams. In the first half, Duke was out rebounded 24-15. But it's still as disastrous as this game was, as, as horrendous as it was. We're, Duke is up. 68-67 with 425 to go. I'm like, that sounds great. Yeah. In the next two and a half minutes, nobody scored. Not one team. <laughs> Kansas missed five three-point shots and a two-point shot. Yeah. Can you believe they missed that? Them? And my point is to you, because we're watching the game, right? And we're going back and forth and we're texting. And I understand, okay, let's let's take as much time off the clock, but you guys, there was a transition where, you know, there was like two minutes. I mean, Duke started dominating. Why take your foot off the throat right there? You know, take your foot off the gas pedal and allow them to build up just some momentum. I kept feeling, I'm like, why are you burning so much clock when you were demoralizing Kansas over and over again? And there were so many That's times, I mean, there was, there was a point where Newman put up a three and he had like a full shot clock there was like 22 seconds and he's i mean bricked it and i'm like all right this game's over i mean that's when i texted you i said that was a huge three big turnaround and then all of a sudden duke just shuts down and they go into like that like you know let's let's go to you know that deep and let's play super soft and I, I, it kind of blew me Did away right there I? Well, I just it was. I, mean, I think that Kansas. On one hand, I think Kansas. I'm not giving Kansas credit for winning this game. No, I, Duke <laughs> lost this game. Duke, Duke lost this game. Think, There's no I, question about it. I think, I think they both played terrible at the end. It was awful, and then you know, but still, with 125 left in the game, Duke is up 72-69. If Allen finally made two free throws, then Newman missed the three pointer, and then then Carter an missed, ugly three, and then McKellick makes that jumper with 29 sets. 27 after yeah. missing, uh, he missed four straight three pointers. That was a big shot. That was a big shot. He finally makes the three. That was a big shot. 
And then Grayson Allen had an opportunity to become oh. the Christian Leitner, yeah, the exactly. hated yeah, the, player yeah. that makes the game-winning shot. And I saw that shot again today from the angle above the basket. It hit the basket 10 yeah, times. He made, yeah, he missed it twice, actually. <laughs> I just couldn't believe the ball didn't go in. Yeah. That ball goes in. Grayson Allen's the hater. It's yeah. the Christian Leitner shot. I was in Philadelphia when he hit the shot against Kentucky. Leitner was. I was yeah. at that game. You were at the Leitner game? Yes, yeah, so I was at That's the Leitner awesome. game. I got it's totally like the highlight of my that. childhood. <laughs> <laughs> but Grayson Allen, this wouldn't have been the Leitner game, but I think the fact that it was such a great game, everybody seemed to be watching it. It was a Sunday afternoon game. People were into yeah. it. Grayson Allen had a chance that that would be whatever he was talking about, but then he missed it. Oh, of course, yeah. And then, you know, then we went to overtime. And Duke, then Duke is up 78 76 with 238 late left and doesn't score. Till three seconds left. Yeah. They didn't um, score in two yeah. and a half minutes. And Bagley, no what shot. What was that? I mean, just no, excellent sure, yeah. defense or just awful? You said you're not giving Kansas the win. So what was Duke doing? Just shooting the ball and missing it. Yeah. I really think they just continually shot the threes instead of four, getting the ball into Bagley. Bagley's not, they were not double teaming. I thought yeah. it was terrible playing. I just, you I. Blaming Coach K? I, I, well, I have to blame Coach K. Well, you have to blame the coaches because you have to get the ball into a guy like Bagley, who I think is one of the going to be top three players in the it, draft and who can shoot all air. Exactly, and it hurt like losing Carter for Duke. Um, you know, when Azubuki went out, I thought, and I said it. When Azubuki went out, I said, I said, this is the time you feed Bagley over and over again because that was the only person that could even put a body on Bagley that was stopping him. You know, and there was a portion there, especially that it was second chance points over and over again, and 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 Kansas crashing the boards and and getting those second chance opportunities I mean Newman takes over the takes over the o- overtime scores nine straight points you know and at that point it was just it, you just saw it in Duke they were just demoralized I mean they were putting up shots um you know uh, uh, Gary Trent Jr I mean how disappointing was that I, like every shot he took I was just like this is not going in this Se- is not going 728 in. it's Ira on sports 95.9 the true oldies channel we would love to hear from you 877-960-9960 877-960-9960 do you like Cinderella's do you want to see Loyola keep winning who do you have winning it all 877-960-9960 Mike E. Averone o- uh, owner of Big Brown joins us about seven minutes and Dominican Sue has a new home we'll talk about that and my favorite sport. Major League Baseball kicks off in three days. Plenty to talk about as the season gets started. Ira, you want to move on to Nova Tech? You like Nova. I think, I think first of all, I think Loyola beats Michigan. I've saw, I've saw, I just think Loyola's a better team. Ooh, I don't I like think it's this. an upset. I, like I think Loyola, I saw the odds. I just, I think Loyola's what a better team. It was like 12 plus 1,200. 12? I, I, oh, I never going to say 12 points. 1,200, like, oh my but I think the line was like, the line was five and a half. Yeah, I was going to say it'd be crazy. But, um, and then I just, I mean, Nova, that West Virginia game, West Virginia played them very, very hard, very hard. But Nova showed in the Texas Tech game, they shot four for 24 on threes and still dominated. They out-rebound Texas Tech 51-33 on the boards. I think Villanova, just to me, Villanova is better than Kansas. Yeah. I think they're better, and they're, I, I think Villanova loyal and Villanova wins. I think Villanova's like Villanova's a better uh, Brunson at point guard. What we're talking about point guards? Brunson. Brunson. He's a smart point guard. He shoots when he shoots when <laughs> he's, he's a open. Point guard. He's getting the ball to Bridges. He's getting the ball and where he needs to get the ball to score to yeah. win. Makes his points. His points are. I just think that Villanova. They you know they are. They're going to win two titles in three years. They're yeah, amazing. They're, they're yeah. They're the best team on paper left. I mean, I don't think it's a question that if you had to pick a favorite and where the odds are, it's definitely Villanova with that backcourt of Brunson and Bridges, and and it's not close. It's not close. Uh, Ira, I mean, you think they get it? Uh, I do think they're a really good team, but we keep seeing top seeds get knocked off by teams like Loyola. Not that they beat any top seeds, but this has been one of the best, in my opinion, um, you know, final or uh, tournaments ever. Because I like the upsets. 
I think you've have I think you have the upsets. I think it's been a great tournament. The games have been very close, yeah. um, and it's just I think it's it's been I think having the close games. It doesn't have to be buzzer beaters. Just it, not games like Michigan, Texas A and M that are just blowouts the whole game. And that's yeah. what makes college basketball so exciting. Um, we've got about five minutes until we're joined uh, by Mike Iavarone. Uh, do you want to talk? I mean, a little bit about uh, the Miami opening Key Biscayne because I was I want to hear a little bit more about the Rusty Pelican. And you kind of ran into someone special in L.A. We'll talk about that, too. But first of all, tell us, I never make it down to Miami. Once I get around, I don't know, Boca, I start getting a little nervous. <laughs> don't want to keep driving south. He knows I really don't go south of Okeechobee Boulevard. But, I, you know, I still love Palm Beach County. Tell me about Key Biscayne, uh, Biscayne and the Rusty Pelican. Well, well Key Biscayne, the tennis, it's the last year of the tournament and the Open, And it's absolutely – I love tennis. I love watching tennis. I go to the U.S. Open every year. And I think this is – it's it's just – it's great to go here. It's I, I would say it's better than the U.S. Open because you can sit in the stadium really? and see the players. This, every seat's a good seat. And it's not – when you go to the U.S. Open, 16,000 seats cannot see the action. They have so yeah. many levels mm-hmm. of suites. Unless you're yeah. sitting in the box of someone and a special thing, you're not – and paying thousands of dollars of tickets for people that don't even know who's even playing. playing. Yeah. But – I just think I, and I, it, there's a difference between two set mat, best out of three and best out of five. Best out of five takes a long, long time. Best out of three is like it has to get something happen. More right exciting. It means more. And, but it's a, it's a shame. It's a great environment. Key Biscayne is beautiful. Driving over the causeway is amazing. The stadium is nice. The views are nice. Everything's great. And this is the last year. Next year it's going to be in Fort Lauderdale at the football stadium, which is going to be very hard for me to see how it's going to get Wait, that ambiance. They're moving to Dolphin Stadium? Yes, they're moving to Dolphin Stadium. You can you watch tennis there. Well, they're changing it. They have this whole, they're, they're breaking ground, but it's a, it's more complicated for us to get <laughs> it in. It sounds ridiculous. But it is, it is definitely, but it, if anyone can get us a chance this week, I would definitely come down. Like even on the weekends for the, but any time just go down to this event it is a great event to go to if you like tennis at all it's a phenomenal event um well tell us a little bit about (laughs) you're in la going to the staples center and a friend of yours introduces you to someone at a bar you have no idea who this person is. Me and Sean's like icon. Well, this was Friday. <laughs> it was Friday at the Duke. So I'm at, but I'm watching the Duke game. I'm not in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. I'm in LA. So I have to watch the game on TV and I'm like nervous where I'm going to watch it. And what <laughs> bar to watch it. You get all nervous about like, where am I going to, when I can't. I don't think you know, everyone gets nervous. About I it. get very <laughs> nervous. That I have to watch a sporting event. I have to know where the TVs yes, are. So where is oh yeah, right. there's no audio or something. I'm not watching. Yeah. He's, he's got, got the right hat. He's got to put his, his so secret my, socks on. And Well, my favorite bar in LA closed. So there's this bar that was owned by uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and mm. Kevin Connolly, and it was great to go there and see all and Toby Maguire. Patrick alum right there. And you go there, and, and it's it's a great bar, but it's been closed. So I'm I'm trying to search for other bars. This is anyone who's a huge sports fan knows it's very difficult to find good bars. So I went to this one place, and my friend told me let's go there. And then I ran in, and we're, and this person introduces me as my friend, the comedian, <laughs> and he's talking to me, and he's like the biggest Duke fan, and he's talking about Duke and da 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 on and on about Duke, and he's wearing Duke like I am. So we talk, and not until I start texting people. I'm like, I'm with this guy. Do you know who he is? Everyone starts saying, oh, my gosh, he's so famous. But I didn't realize that he was that famous. <laughs> Nick Swartzen's his name. Um, yeah, everyone in the, in the shipping container is going nuts right now that you didn't know who this was. He, more than a comedian, he's like Adam Sandler's right-hand man. Uh, Grandma's Boy is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. He's the, you know, the, the second lead character in that. He's done so much. Reno 911. I know you only watch sports, Ira, but this guy's hilarious. <laughs> and you sent us this picture. Hey, do you guys, you guys know Nick Swordsman? And we're like, yeah, that's close, Swordsman. But yes, he's awesome. Please to get him on the show. Is he going to come on? What time is it? Well, he would love to talk about Duke. I mean, he is his passionate. We talked Duke for four hours. I mean, that's all. He knows everything about Duke. He knows about A. 
is about as detailed as you can imagine. Could name almost every player on every team for the last thirty years. That's crazy. So wow. it's, I would never expect that from him. I ask him if he's if he's has His a stand up's sh- called Who Farted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and he, I asked him if he's doing a show tonight, and he said, he goes, uh, he goes, are you crazy? Like, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm focused. I goes, I can't do a show tomorrow night either. I can't do a show any, this whole weekend he took off because he get ready. He was planning to go to San Antonio. He's this and that. So it was very good. Hopefully we get him on our show. He, he was seen. I talked to him. And he said he would come on, but we'll that's see. awesome. It, th- those are always uh, hard to wrangle up. <laughs> you know, you, you meet the person. Oh, of course, they want to come on, and then and then it's tougher and tougher as you go. Seven thirty four. It's Iron Sports ninety five nine, the True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean, we're here as well. And Dominic and Sue just got himself a landing place. We're also going to talk baseball as the season uh, kicks off here in just a couple of minutes. Baseball is one of my favorite sports, and one of the things that I'm really excited about this year for is the New York Yankees. Um, before you know, we'll do baseball a little bit later. What do you think is the most important move we've seen besides Stanton going to New York? I mean, obviously, that's the reigning NL MVP got traded. That doesn't happen often, unless it's the Marlins trading Miguel Cabrera or something like that. Sorry, Marlins fans. Um, what do you guys think, Ira? We can start with you. What move do you think is going to uh, have the most repercussions this season in Major League Baseball? It's a, it's two, it's about a move and a half. I'm going to say Justin Verlander being at Houston all year. That's a very good point. Yeah. Because he, 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 and then the second one is that I feel that Garrett Cole coming because now the Houston, yeah. you're the best offense and the best staff. pitching staff. That's why they're going to win over 100 games. You know what? I can tell. You, let me tell you something. First of all, hmm. Garrett Cole is a guy that I've been waiting to be a superstar forever. Ever. Um, he had that year. He was 11-2. and two. He started the All-Star game three years ago. The guy has issues outside of that, and I do think a change of scenery is going to help him. Justin Verlander, on the contrary, I think we've seen the best of him. I don't know why, but I think that the, the team changed last year. The culture changed. Now I'm on a winning team. I've got something to prove, and I only have to do it for a month. I think that the I think Garrett Cole has a better season than Justin Verlander. And obviously, he's a decade younger. It's not going to be that crazy, but Justin Verlander was amazing last year in two months. I, I just have a feeling about Garrett Cole with a change of scenery, maybe better uh, coaching staff and like health issues because the guy can never every after every single game and not having he's to coming be in number hurt. one. Yeah, not having to be a number one. I think that's absolutely huge. Um, you know, if you got to ask me who I think the biggest, I got to say you Darvish only because Jake Arrieta is gone now. Um, where did he sign with? People the that think you Darvish is done are insane. Yeah, and you know what? And is you Darvish the guy that came into the league? Maybe not, but the fact that they did lose Arrieta. Um, to the Phillies, you had to go out and lock up a guy. And you, Darvish, was, in my opinion, the number one guy that was out there that you could sign. Um, so to, to, to bolster you know, that staff, to make him your number one um, and keep them on, I, I mean, I, I, I think that has to be considered the number one besides Stan. Uh, before we get to Mike uh, Iaveron, Ira, just one minute on this. Do you think that the Pirates do a bad job developing pitchers. I mean, Garrett Cole hasn't hit his potential. Jamison Talon, Tyler Glass now. These guys were all supposed to be future aces, and we haven't seen one of them yet even really become a solid two. No, the, we'll get back to the Pirates a little later. But yeah, they, <laughs> it's a long story. It's a long, that's why they're projected to win 73 wins. So. And, well, yeah, there's a lot of issues going on there. 737 Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Time to bring in Mike Iavarone, former owner of IEAH Stables. He had the 2008 Derby in Preakness and Florida Derby winner, Big Brown. You may have heard of him. Eclipse Award winner, Benny the Bull. Breeders' Cup Mile winner, Kip DeVille. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, first and foremost, 
I always like to hear how people got involved in horse racing. I'm a huge horse racing fan. Been following it for 15 years. How did you get involved in horse racing? Well, I think it goes back to my heritage. You know, my father got me involved in the game at a very young age and uh, took me to the racetrack when I was just a teenager. Bet on a couple races, and uh, I was hooked. It took a long time to get to where I had gotten, but started really young. Simply as a gambler. It's funny that it does seem like a lot, I follow uh, Thoroughbreds and I also follow Greyhound Racing, and a lot of it is passed on through the family. Michael, uh, I'll tell you what. When I saw Big Brown win the Derby, something inside of me said, this horse is special. When did you know that Big Brown was special? Well, I think the first time we saw him, we knew he was special. You know, he won his maiden race on the grass by 15 at Saratoga. So you know the quality of horses at Saratoga. And for any two-year-old to win any race by 15, let alone a grass race, in his first lifetime start, you know they're special. Well, let's talk about the Triple Crown. I, I mean, listen, I, I think before uh, we just had it, um, you know, with American Pharaoh, it was 1978. So I was, wasn't even born yet. I'd never seen a Triple Crown. When Big Brown got those two in 08, I really wanted to see it. Um, what do you think your chances were going into Belmont? Were you happy about it? These, a lot of people don't realize horses run every five weeks. So when a horse does win the, the uh, Kentucky Derby and the Preakness, now he's running three times in five weeks. And that's not normal. How did you feel? Well, actually, we felt great right after the Preakness. He won the Preakness with ease. He was geared down, especially through the stretch. He had a you know, easy five-length win. He, uh, he came out of the race perfectly. We felt great. We knew the timing was a challenge. We knew the mile and a half was a challenge. But then he developed a quarter crack four days after he came back to Belmont, and that cost him about five or six days of training. And I think that was a very key part of the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Mike, talk a little about what, the, I mean, the American Pharaoh had the same, had an effect, but the big brown effect on the horse racing public was amazing. I, I have a cousin of mine in Louisville who goes to every Kentucky Derby in a million years and is, Lexington, is in Churchill Downs every day. He flew up to Belmont the day of the of the race because he said, this horse is going to win the Triple Crown, and I have never thought about about any other of the seven, eight other horses before Big Brown that had that chance at that time. Um, tell, Just talk a little about what the feeling, I mean, give, I know people, it's been, it's been some time, but what the feeling in the country was and, and, and when, you, when you were around about the whole effect of Big Brown. Well, I think he was the first horse in a long time, uh, not just to be in line to win the Triple Crown, but he had not been challenged in any of his races. Some of the other horses, real quiet and silver charm, they had some really tough races leading up to the Belmont. So there was competition there that, you know, theoretically could, could have beat him in any one of those races. But Big Brown, he had dominated every single start, and he had won every race easily from every post position you could imagine. So going into the Belmont, he, everybody felt he was just superior to his generation, and his talent level was just in another league. So, you know, as our trainer had unfortunately said, that Belmont was a foregone conclusion. <laughs> so when you were, when you the one stat I saw from the Florida Derby, and the Florida Derby is this weekend, so that's why one of the reasons we have you on, we'll have you definitely on before the Kentucky Derby. But uh, Big Brown, when it ran the Florida Derby, I think it was like a, a half, a, like very close to this track record for the Florida Derby. It, it, I mean, the second fastest of all time. Um, what was the feeling of that race and, and about that race? Okay, well, two parts. One, it was the second fastest Florida Derby ever. But more importantly, he won from post twelve. No horse has ever won, period, from post-12 yeah. since they reconfigured the racetrack there. They have a very short run into the first turn. So when you have the outside post, 
nine times out of ten, you're going to be hooked, you know, four or five deep. So not only did he win in, in resource time, but he won from a close position at a barrier that no other horse has still yet to win from. Um, one of the things, and you know, just going back quickly to the Triple Crown, a lot of people don't realize how it works. And the fact that, like I said earlier, most horses run on five weeks rest. It doesn't happen like this. Also, all the three, well, not all, but a lot of the three-year-olds that don't win the Kentucky Derby that had hopes for it, they skip the Preakness. And they know that the Belmont's the longest race. Now you've got the, the, the most tired horse, a horse that was a pretty good horse anyways, or even maybe a closer who has an even bigger advantage at Belmont. It's extremely difficult uh, to, to take that down. Let's move on to the Kentucky Derby, though. It's just about a month away. Uh, Mike Everone's on the line with us, 742 Iron Sports. This might be, I've been following this, like I said, a little over a decade. This might be the worst crop of three-year-olds I've ever seen. And maybe not worse talent-wise, but worse as far as deciding who is going to win. It's just such a muddy field. Mike, what do you think, um, you know, who are the three-year-olds on your radar? Okay, actually, I, I have a different perspective. I have a three-year-old on my radar that I think is the best thing to come in a long time. As a matter of fact... Can I take a guess? Uh, other than, aside from Big Brown and American Pharaoh, I think the most talented three-year-old we've seen in a long time is actually in this crop. And he's a horse that hasn't gotten the recognition yet. He has not won a major race yet. He's won an, he's won an allowance race and he's won a maiden special. He's out west, trained by Bob Baffert. He's being uh, targeted for the Arkansas Derby. His name is Justified. He's two for two. He's run huge numbers. He's coming into the sequence in exactly the same format that Big Brown did. Hmm. Big Brown won a two-year-old race uh, in September. This horse, unfortunately, didn't race as a two-year-old, so it would be him and Apollo, which is the only two-year-old, only derby winners in history to not run as a two-year-old. But basically, he is a maiden special winner. He's an allowance winner. He has no Kentucky Derby points. But he's going to the Arkansas Derby, and he will be a heavy favorite in that race. If he's got zero... Coming out of it... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Coming out of that race, if he should win the, the Arkansas Derby, he'll be the favorite, actually, for the Kentucky Derby. See, I was not expecting you to pick a horse that has no points. The, the way the Kentucky Derby works now, it's not off earnings. They have point races. You have to qualify. For the Kentucky Derby, essentially. I thought you were going to say Salamini, who I think is kind of an underrated horse going into this. But this is the kind of inside information you get on Ira on Sports on 95.9, the True Oldies channel. So, Mike, what, what do you think about the Florida Derby? I mean, in terms of who's racing and uh, in terms of, you know, coming up in a week, is there anything, is there any horses that we should we should watch for this race at all? Okay, well, I don't think the Florida Derby is this year as strong as it has been in past years. I don't think the Derby winner is in this race. Uh, but there are a couple horses in there that I think have, have some talent. I think leading that group, in my eyes, is a horse called Catholic Boy. And he started his career on the grass. Uh, he won a, a stake at Saratoga as a two-year-old on the grass. They converted him to the dirt for his three-year-old campaign. He, he won pretty impressively in his last start. And he'll go into this race uh, with an up-and-coming trainer, and, and I think he's got a reasonable enough shot uh, in there. I also think Todd has, Todd Fletcher has Audible and New York Red that he's pretty high on. But I don't believe either of those horses are nearly the quality of the horses, such as Justify, such as Bolfiaro, such as Salamini. I do think the best horses, again, are on the West Coast this year. 
Um, the one thing, you know, the great thing about about the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness and the Belmont, certainly, is that it brings in the non-horse racing public. <laughs> you know, the parties. I was Everybody LA, watches the Kentucky Derby. I, I'm in L.A., and the restaurants are, I mean, everybody is stopping what they're doing. And it's it's amazing. I mean, wish, I wish that horse racing could get that year-round every race. But it is, it's exciting, and it's great for that. I think Gulfstream has tried that to try to create that atmosphere with all the restaurants. Talk about that are there, and there's other activities. Talk about Gulfstream a little bit and what, what steps have been taken there and, and maybe some other tracks in the country that are going to that format. Well, I think Frank Stronach deserves a tremendous amount of credit. Uh, he has really put a lot into horse racing. Uh, the guy was incredibly successful in the automotive industry, You know, made himself a billion dollars, and didn't rest on his morals. He, he wanted to further... Uh, Goldstream Park in Santa Anita, and he formed the Magna Entertainment for the sole purpose of building out not just a racetrack, but surrounding it with shopping and hotels and casinos and you name it. And Goldstream and Santa Anita, you know, both Magna tracks are two of the most energetic places you'll ever go to, not just for horse racing people, but for the general population. And uh, Goldstream happens to be our absolute favorite. I mean, the whole situation that they've developed there is first class, and uh, nothing's better than Florida Derby Day. 747 Iron Sports 959 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean, we got you as well. We also have Mike Yverone, a former owner of IEAH Stables, also owned Big Brown, who had one of the coolest runs towards a Triple Crown that I've ever seen. M- Mike, I got to ask you a question now. A lot of people don't know this, but in horse racing, there's things called future pools, meaning in like December, you can bet the Kentucky Derby winner. They open four pools, it's a weekend, and you get astronomical odds, and you can also take all others. Meaning, listen, we're going to list 20 horses, you don't even know if this horse is going to run, here's what we'll pay you now for it, or you can take the field. Was Justified in the field? Because that'd be a great selection right now. Okay, so Justified was in the field uh, pretty much up until his allowance race, and he won his allowance race so impressively, and it just so happened that <laughs> killed his allowance odds. race was on the... It was on the last day that that pool was open, and now he's actually, I believe, the second favorite in the wagering behind Bolt Dioro. I do like Bolt Dioro a lot this year, um, but I, I, like I said, I think this is a why. I think people are going to make money this Kentucky Derby in this stake season because I just think that it's a little bit of a muddied field. Um, you want to give us some of your tips for handicapping? I, I, my two basics. If the horse has never run on that course before, you don't bet him. And if he's never run at that distance before, you don't bet him. What's your tips for a beginner looking to make some money on the derby? Well, the first thing is when you when you bet the derby, you have to find value. You have 20 horses. You have horses going a distance they've never gone before. You have many elements that factor into the race. So, you know, between breaking well and getting caught down inside and traffic and kickback and going a mile and a quarter for the first time, you, you must demand value. So any horse that, that is going to pay you less than seven or eight to one, I don't even look at the Kentucky Derby. I, I agree. Let's, let's face it. Last year, always dreaming was the favorite he won. God bless him. I used looking at Lee last year. I think it was 33 to one. Came second. I didn't catch it, but I demand value. And, and what I look for is I look for horses that are coming up to their best race. I don't, want a, I don't want a horse that just ran his best. I want a horse that's coming up to his best. And a horse that would fit that prototype and that profile would be a, a, a horse like Bolfiol. If you saw Bolfiol's last race, he was coming off a pretty extended layoff. He ran a huge second to Bathurst McKenzie. Uh, he was put up by disqualification, but you could see he needed the race. And he's basically racing his way into peak condition. And a horse like that is the kind of horse that I'm looking for, but I'm going to look for the right ones with value. So until I see all the cut races, I, I don't have the right one yet. 
but I, I am going to demand odds. And I'm going to demand a horse that hasn't run his best yet. You know what, Mike? One of my things was up until three years ago, or maybe four years ago, um, don't bet a post that's never won that race before. Nobody'd won from 18 in the Kentucky Derby. Animal Kingdom won at 20 to one a couple of years ago, and just absolutely shook everything up. But that was just something that now I have to throw that out. <laughs> Moving forward, but those are excellent handicapping tips uh, from Mike Yiveron. Mike, I'm just going to ask one more, one last question. Um, sure. where, where do you see? The, what do you see in terms of just general big picture, the future of horse racing? Do you see in terms of um, tracks uh, improving, like Gulfstream? Uh, what do you? What are some just big picture themes that you see to, to help the, the public? I mean, certainly people say, "Oh, horse racing is going away; it's dead." Of course, horse racing is never going to die. It's always going to get <laughs> so that's ridiculous. But what do you see as some big picture themes? Well, one thing I do see in New York, and I think New York is, is where I'm based, so I, I, I pay <laughs> significant attention to it. Uh, they are building uh, at Belmont Park. They're building a stadium uh, for the New York Islanders. They're going to surround it with a casino. They're going to surround it with hotels. I think what racing needs to do is racing needs to understand that racing does its best when it's surrounded by big name sports. And I think the Meadowlands has done a great job building, you know, its racetrack next to that Life Stadium. I think as these racetracks continue to find the right pockets and, and, and align themselves with major sports. I think they'll get a better following, and I think Belmont's going to be the first one to really take that endeavor, and I think that's going to go a long way. Yeah, I don't think horse racing has as big an issue as people think, especially because international, it's huge. I mean, United Arab Emirates started the richest race in the world two years ago, and America was like, we got to beat this, get the Pegasus Cup going on down here. Like, So they're battling back and forth. There's a lot of money on the line. Mike, before I let you go, Florida Derby this Saturday, make me some money. What are you betting? You know, as I said, I, I'm going to look at uh, I'm going to look at uh, Catholic boy on top. I, I think you know he's, he's not going to offer tremendous value, but I, but I think he's the right horse at the right time. Catholic boy on top. Who are you taking under? This is the hard part. <laughs> I'm going to take a shot with promises fulfilled and strike power. I, I like promises fulfilled as well. He is Mike Iavarone. You're always welcome here, and I I hope we can have you back for the Kentucky Derby here on Iron Sports. Sounds good. 752. It is Iron Sports 95.9. True oldies channel. Mike and Sean got you covered as well. Love to hear from you. 877-960-9960. That's 877-960-9960. Um, we've been teasing the, the football thing, so let's talk about just quickly Indomitian Sioux. We had a question on the board about the Jets rescinded their offer to Indomitian Sioux earlier today. Where would he end up? What would be the best fit? Well, I don't know if it's the best fit, but he's officially an L.A. Ram. $14 million, one-year deal. Aaron Donald and, and Dominican Sue <laughs> next to each other. You can't drive a Volkswagen through that. But is it a good fit? I mean, Sean, we can start with you here. I don't know if I'm the Rams if I'm locked. And $14 million for Dominican Sue who's about to make, what, 30 28 on Miami. It, it's still a good deal. But do you need the two best defensive tackles on the same line or maybe go somewhere else? for your young quarterback. I don't know. Well, I mean, okay, this is the thing, and this is how it happens, okay? So they got rid of Tremaine Johnson, who went to the Jets, and for the amount of money that they would have spent to keep their number one corner, they went out, they traded for Marcus Peters, 
from Kansas City. Oops. And they got Aqib Talib for for cheaper than what it would have cost her to, to get Tremaine Johnson. So, um, and Dominican Sue goes there for one year, fourteen million, um, playing next to Aaron Donald. And I don't know if you guys remember the meme of like Spider Man versus Spider Man, where it's like pointing at, at each, each other. other. Yeah, that's 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 what this <laughs> is right now. And the forgotten guy is Michael Michael Brockers uh, from LSU, who was a who was a, um, a a first round pick out of LSU, who's an absolute monster as well. And obviously, it helps playing next to Aaron Donald. But we just saw this with the Eagles. All right, a team that secondary maybe wasn't the best um, was really hurt in their linebackers but between um, Graham Vinnie Curry um, Fletcher Cox who's basically the you know the the, the East Coast right version of Aaron Donald I mean they went out and won a Super Bowl because of that pass rush so um, we've seen it with the Giants when they, when you know they were winning their Super Bowls um, so I think right now in terms of saving the money that it, it that it didn't cost them to get Sammy Watkins to let Tremaine Johnson go to get two corners now um, who I think are better than EJ Gaines and and uh, Joiner. That, that's not even a question. I, exactly. So so I think in terms of what they did, one hundred percent. Looks. Look, let's look at their Super Bowl odds. I mean, before they even made this, they went from eighteen and one. Then they get rid of Tremaine. They get uh, 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 Talib and Marcus Peters. They go to fourteen to one. The Minnesota Vikings. I think that's good for fifth. Um, you know, right now in Super mm-hmm. Bowl odds, I think they jumped the Green Bay Packers and the Steelers, who are both sitting at fourteen one and twelve and one respectively. Ooh, Minnesota sitting at nine and one. I would say the LA Rams right now jump nine and one and maybe end up at nine and one or eight and one. It, it, my with issue, this move, my issue with it is, like you said, now you get rid of Sammy Watkins. You have a, a second-year quarterback. I'd be trying to stack weapons around him as opposed to building the best defense in the league. Ira, what do you think? $14 million is not a bad deal. Do you think that Sue is a good fit there, and would you have used the money that way? Well, that was a great fit. I mean, the, the, Unbelievable. The, what's so funny about it's it is crazy. that the, the, the Jets supposedly had like $100 million. We don't know how much guaranteed money was on the table. And Sue was then shopping it to the other teams, and the Jets came out early this morning and said, we're pulling her offer, and I've got to give credit for the Jets. It's like, we're offering you $100 million. You either sign on the dotted line. Line, but we don't want to hear that you're shopping our offer to go to these other teams. And, I, and the Jets were criticized. I don't know why they were criticized when I thought that was just, look, if you're, we're, give, we're offering you this, either you sign or we don't want you on the team anymore. Or not on the team anymore, but a team at all. It, yeah, yeah. Listen, I, I think it's going to be good, and I think the Rams are going to be good. We talked about two, one a week ago scary. on this show. <laughs> listen, Ira, you're absolutely right with the Jets. The Jets are 18,000 pieces away from winning a Super Bowl. And Dominican Sue does not make you even a playoff team. No. The Rams are close, so I don't knock them for that. My issue now is chemistry. Their, their head coach is younger than me. Can he maintain Marcus Peters, Akib Tlaib? Now you throw Indomitian Sue, arguably the league's biggest troublemaker, in the mix. That's my worry with this signing. I would have used the 14 mil other places, but that's why I love to disagree with you guys. It's Iron Sports 756, True Oldies Channel. <sighs> you guys so much and I hate Odell Beckham so much I'm a Giants fan I'm a Giants fan Junior (laughs) I've been saying on this show for a long time that Odell Beckham would not be a Giant in 2019 that they're not going to pay him what the 20 million dollars he's going to want to be the fourth or fifth best receiver in the league they're not going to pay him he's he's just a head case they come out today and say well you know what he's on the block He's not untouchable. They were talking about the Rams talking to him today. Obviously, they're not going to have the money for that now. Sean, what do you think? What are the odds Odell Beckham Jr. is a giant well, next season? I said it in my bold prediction when he came out with his, uh, his little hotel video. that, it, and, 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 and Mara said it perfectly. He said, I'm sick and tired 
of answering questions about Odell's behavior. It, that's why I that's it. On the team. I'm done. I'm done. We're done. I mean, the Giants had a team. Okay, so two years ago, you know, great defense, top two or three in the league. Um, you know, Landon Collins is coming into his own. JPP's back from blowing off his hands. Uh, you bring in Vernon. You know, you have all these pieces. You get Jenkins. Um, you draft Eli Apple. And the defense looks great. I mean, the offensive line was still an issue. Running back was an issue. Linebackers were an issue. But the defense in the secondary <laughs> and the D-line looked really good. Decades. Of course. <laughs> but my point is, is that, you know, you you you... Now, all of a sudden, last year, where McAdoo really loses control, these personalities take over, and who's the biggest personality in that in that room? Maybe we in just, the league. We just saw Jarvis Landry get ousted. We saw you know the exodus from Miami, and the Giants aren't one of those teams that's going to put up with this. I mean, they might put up with it when they're winning, but when they're, what, a three-win team last year, they are certainly not going to put up with it. And if you can go out and you can get... You know, a, a, a bundle of draft picks for a guy like o, you know o, Odell, who's arguably the best for him right now. For arguably the best a receiver, where you know I'm not giving this guy, I'm not going to franchise him, I'm not going to no. keep him for a hundred million because that's what he's going to get. He's going to get twenty something million for five years. He's going to get close to a hundred million dollars for a receiver who, at that point, is going to be twenty seven, twenty eight years old, off the field and on the field issues. That's <laughs> the thing. He had on the field issues. He never had off the field issues. Now we're getting to that point where it's turning almost into a T.O. type of situation or Chad Johnson situation, it's not worth the headache anymore. Sean, you're absolutely right. Teams love that. The Dallas Cowboys would embrace him with open arms. me up. Let's go. Your Dallas Cowboys (laughs) would love to have him. If he commits two felonies, he'll be signed tonight. Yeah, of course. Hey. Ira, what do you think? Beckham, where's this guy going to be next year? You think he's on the Giants? No, he won't be on the Giants. I, he's one of the most overrated players in all football. We talk about him. You're right. Everybody talks about it, and I just... And when he played the Steelers, that he's on the field with Antonio Brown, and there's just no comparison. No, he does not have. He makes amazing catches, but he drops a lot. Oh of my balls. god, he drops yeah. a lot of balls. And I don't think he has the separation that Antonio Brown has. Mm-hmm. I, I, I he's don't, not the route runner. He, he's explosive with the ball in his hand. Ira, it's not even fair to compare him to Brown. Brown's the best receiver in the league. Yeah, I, I don't even know. Like, there's you can't compare him to Hopkins for Houston. I can't, not even close. DeAndre Hopkins has. Had better seasons with him than basically with me. Tom Sa- Tom, with Tom, TJ, yes, Tom Savage, and, TJ Yates throwing. And let's the ball. look at the let's look at the targets Odell gets too, because because you know okay, if, if he first, doesn't get thirteen looks a game, he's he's pissed. exactly where Eli's always looking towards Odell. They force the ball to Eli to keep. I mean, force the ball uh, to OBJ from Eli just to keep him happy. When Sterling Shepard got signed. You'd think most receivers would be excited. Okay, take some heat off me. You know, Beckham was like, I can't believe they just drafted another receiver. Yeah. He's that kind of guy. And I just go eye for him and put me out wide. <laughs> just let me go. Like, why haven't I thrown any passes this year? We can't do like like an end around. I'll throw for a touchdown. Like, that's what kind of guy he is. I and remember. plus the injuries. I mean, Antonio Brown didn't miss a game in five years yeah. until the till this past year. Uh, I mean, you, you, and you, fought to come back. Yeah, you want your players on the field. You want your players on field. You don't want to see the enemy in fights. He's getting in fights. He gets thrown out of games. There's, I just, I think he's, yeah, he's really, a, he's a head case. If, he's, if you guys, he's to- totally a head case. If you guys remember, um, his first, I don't believe he touched the field until week seven of his rookie year. He had a, a lingering hamstring injury, and he was just on the bike looking dejected every day. It didn't seem like he wanted to be on the field. Giants Nation was calling him Owell Bencham. Yeah. Obviously, he came out and he, he came out and proved us How'd wrong. That out? <laughs> but it's what Ira says. I don't think he's as good as he thinks he is. I don't think he's as good as the media thinks he is. I don't think well, he's as good as the fans think he is. And he's not worth being paid the highest play, paid receiver in the league, or being, or even seventeen, sixteen million. And I'll, and I'll counter because I do think he has a. I think he's as good as what we've seen. What he's I explosive. don't think he is. This is the problem. He has now become a celebrity. 
He's of not an. He's and you not think an, once you give the guy a hundred million dollars, that's going to get better? He's not a football player anymore. He's a celebrity at this point. So, so that's where we've seen people's careers just kind of get derailed, where they're bigger than the game at this point. So, um, you know, is he that great? Yeah, no, I, I really do. But is he worth the money? Even if you said yes, but what comes along with the money? That's where it becomes a no. The Kardashians come along with it. Or whoever is going to be there. New York Giants are not supposed to be known for that. Like I said, Dallas Cowboys, bring him on. Cleveland would love to see him. Sign him. It's too funny. We're going to go a little over tonight. It's 801 Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike and Sean got you covered as well. Major League Baseball, I think it's the best thing on the planet. Let's talk about it a little bit. Season starts Thursday. I think a lot of people are looking at, well, the Yankees just got the NL MVP, and we've got a couple of teams in the in the NL, like the Dodgers and the Cubs that are very good. Baseball, very it's not the NBA. The best teams usually, the best teams on paper usually don't make the World Series. Yeah. Ira, what do you think? And you can't say the Pirates. I know you wouldn't say that anyways. Um, what's your way too early World Series matchup? We haven't seen a pitch yet. Who's in the World Series? I, well, Houston, I, Houston's in the World Series. I mean, they are. It's going to be hard to keep them I, out. I just don't see how they lose. I, they have the best. They're young. They're, they have everything that you'd want to see. Everything. They, they're young. They have great pitching, great hitting. They have depth. They have. They could go seven starters deep. They're bull, look. They have a weak bullpen, but they have the money. Remember, they're on the fourth largest market. When they mm. need to, they're going to improve that bullpen, and they're going to move some of their starters. When they, they're, a, they're they're ready. You saw what they did in the playoffs. They took their starters and made them as long relievers in the playoffs. So I really like Houston to go. I, I like Houston a lot. I, I do like. Um, sophomore slumps, guys get a little lazy after they've done it. I- I'm not discrediting Houston at all, and if I had to put cash on it, uh, Houston's probably my pick out of the AL. One of the things I love about them, and I've said this to Sean Yu for years, they play like a National League team. They yeah. were in the National League. They don't mind. Nobody, you know, everyone doesn't have to hit home run on Houston. They don't mind getting a base hit, stealing a base, bunting. American League teams don't do that. A lot of National League teams don't do that anymore. They don't mind that. They've got players like Alex Bregman, who could be a superstar on a lot of teams. Guy doesn't. He, he's been taking Spanish lessons to learn to talk to his infield better. <laughs> this, is, this is the truth. Yeah. They're a team that puts the team first, and that's very hard to find. And I think the Yankees will have trouble balancing all these personalities. What's your NL? I, I mean, I, well, yeah. well, I'll go to the NL. I think they had a bad World Series, too, and still won. They're World Series champions, which I think... They, yeah, that's I don't, a good point. I don't think they were... They, I think they there, there was a lot of problems their pitching was suspect to some aspects of it, but I think they played a bad World Series and still beat the Dodgers. And I think they're Dodgers much, played a bad World Series too. Bad, <laughs> but I think they exposed them. They exposed, and I think Verlander the whole year. I think this year they're going to they're going to cruise. Of course, it's the playoffs. That, that's my only question mark: is can we expect what Verlander gave them last year yeah. this year? I mean, he that's looked, that's the only thing that I would sit there and say: Hey, is this? It, it, can he do this again? Because he had a few down years there in Detroit, you know, and and the change of scenery really helped him. And being on a team that's new, so new young, man. it was that it was that. Let's go, let's get it, you know. I, I've been the National League. I just think it's close between Washington and, and LA. I, yeah, I really like Washington. I mean, it. it's like one of these years they're going to get it. They, they have to. No, they don't. I think they're perpetual uh, underachievers. <laughs> but I saw Stra- I saw Strasburg on Wednesday play in spring training, and uh, last Wednesday or Tuesday, and he, he did not look good at all. He got pounded, and I just his last warm up. He was bad, and that and that's and that scares you know that scares me from that perspective. But you know Bryce Harper. You know, everyone thinks that Harper's going to leave. This could be the last go around for that team. Daniel Murphy, I think, is phenomenal. Like I like the Daniel National. Murphy 
if he's an underrated treasure it's, of a baseball it's, player. It's going to be exciting between the Nationals, Dodgers, and the Cubs. You know, that battle for those those three teams. You know, I, I think that the National League, it, it, it might be a team that's not the the Cubs or those two. You just never... American League, I think, we're going to see Houston or the Yankees there. I, I can't see... Many other teams getting around them. Listen, the Boston Red Sox are still a great team. I'm never never counting them out. National League, I don't know, Ira. I, I'm not anno- – first of all, Washington lets me down every year. Every year I think, this team's going, and they don't. And, and they find ways to lose. Listen, you could be the best – you could be the President's Cup, uh, quote, trophy winner, which, which is what the, 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 most, the team that scores the most points in hockey is. They never win. I, I don't know. I, I mean, there's nobody I want to single out. But a lot of teams are getting better in that division, too. I don't think the Phillies are going to be as awful as they are. The Marlins are going to be a dumpster fire. The Mets should be better than they were last year. Pittsburgh is going to be—they're going to win more games than people think. If I had to bet on it, I don't know. I I just wouldn't take them. Ira, let's keep moving on our ridiculous predictions because this is fun. Who's your MVP? MVPs, I should say. If you had to pick today, three days before the first pitch is thrown. I think Stanton. I think on that in that lineup, he's going to have like 160, 170 RBIs for the Yankees. So I think Stanton is going to have a great year. I think he's motivated. I, I, I really, th- I've been reading so many articles about the Marlins and breaking up that team. And the fact that Stanton, what I just find amazing is that when he saw what was going to happen, he said, "I want to meet, sit down with Jeter. I want to come into your office." He pleaded to stay. He didn't have to. He said, I want to stay here. Keep the team together. And he said, let us go. He, his aide, he told his agent not to come to the meeting. It was just himself. <laughs> I didn't know that. And he said, just give me four months. If we don't get it by July, trade me. Trade me. I, I could not believe he said that. He goes, but I'm not going to be traded now. He pleaded, and still they, they got they, they got at the team. And I just, those players wanted to stay together. They were very good. I just, I, I read that. I'm like, oh, what? A, I think he is going to play with a passion. You have, I, he might hit, I mean, he's going to hit, Almost 60 homes last year. He might hit 70 that home runs this year. Too, that stadium, too. That stadium, stadium with too. the fans. Yeah. Ira, I mean, Errol Egan, he's a big, he's our chief of master controls, big Marlins fan, deadbeat Jeets he's putting up. Derek Jeter's my favorite athlete of all time. My son is going to be named Derek. The guy's a scumbag, though, for what he's done to Miami, the city of Miami, what he did to that team. He got nothing back for any of these players. And you're right, Ira. He wanted to stay, which I didn't know that he told his agent not to come to the meeting. That's fantastic. But immediately, what happens? Ozuna, I want out. Uh, Yelich, I want out. These are my friends. JT Real Muto, you know that guy wants out. Um, Justin Bohr, there was a nice little core there. He traded everything away and got nothing back in return. I'm still, though, taking Altuve for my AL MVP. That guy's the best player in baseball. Maybe it's because I'm 5'5", and so is he. And I think that maybe one day I can be Jose Altuve, even though he's like eight years younger than me. I'm taking Altuve. What about the NL? Um, I said I think we said asked the question before. I think Azuna for the Cardinals. I love Ozuna. Last year, Azuna had 37 home runs, 124 RBIs. He had 312. I, I think he played on a team that you know was fun. I, this I think I think you're going to look at you're looking at a 50 home run guy. I think he's going to have 150 RBIs. He's going to hit 300. He's going to have a tremendous year on that lineup. I, I'm t- uh, that's why I think Azuna and Stanton, and you're going to have two Marlins that are MVPs. Uh, <laughs> I, I, who knows what else? What, what, what Yelich and Gordon are going to do? But um, it's uh, I like Azuna a lot this year. You broke that story on Iron Sports. Watch the Marlins trade away the two 2018 MVPs after Ozuna gets one and Stanton uh, could get one. As well, eight oh eight Iron Sports ninety five nine uh, True Oldies Channel. What about Cy Youngs? These are always difficult to pick. NL, we have a guy that's always on our mind though. Who's your NL Cy Young? 
I mean, he would be crazy not to pick. Kershaw. Injuries are the only thing that'll beat him. Even he, it seems like he can miss ten games, and they'll still give him. He's either going to be the he's first or second. Scherzer to deal with, and I think Scherzer is a phenomenal pitcher. I, I think Kershaw, Kershaw, right now, he's either going to be first or second. You have to pick uh, Kershaw, and I and I love Verlander again. I think I think Verlander is ready. I think he's gonna he, he's going to pitch like he pitched last year. If Verlander wins the Cy Young, that's the boldest prediction. I, I think there's no. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe he's too old. I love your, um, you know, your take on it, but I just. I don't know. I, I could see uh, Luis Severino from the Yankees winning it before him. I know. Hey, he's shaking his head. I'll take that. Um, the thing with Kershaw for me, and you're right, Kershaw can miss two months <coughs> and still win. Clayton Kershaw is the best pitcher I've seen since Pedro Martinez. Regular season pitcher. But well, because you can't ga- gauge everyone on that. Andy Pettit, then okay, great, yeah, best yeah, pitcher yeah. ever. Yeah, I, um, I understand. You, I just, I don't know. With Kershaw, I, I just don't know, and and with. Scherzer being there, the the fact that they're going to win a lot of games helps. Sean, what if you had to pick two Cy Youngs today? Who would it be? Wow. Um, how about Chris Sale and Kershaw? I'll go with both those guys. Chris Sale's an excellent, excellent pick. And, and, and that's the thing with Kershaw, you can't get away from him. But I just, I, I just he's so don't dominating. Know. I mean, when you watch him, it just he makes it look so easy. And and, and like he missed. I mean, what he missed? You know, again with the back, he missed two months, and he was still like when you looked at the numbers, it was like, I mean, this is the guy, the best guy in the National League. So um, we're big easy fantasy. Pick. We're big fantasy guys on this on this show. Once football season comes around, there's 15 minutes of show dedicated to fantasy. Who to pick up this week? Who's your waiver wire acquisition? You know, where are we taking this guy? Should we start or sit? Baseball is not as exciting of fantasy, but there's still some money to be made. Sean, we could start with you. Who's your breakout hitter and pitcher in fantasy this year? Oh my god! Um, how about this? Only because I think the team's going to really do good. Uh, the closer from Chicago, Morrow. I know he's been hurt kind of throughout his career and stuff, um, but they said they're going to kind of oh, Brandon ease him in. Morrow. Yeah, Brandon yes. Morrow. Um, I think he. Um, I think he could finish the year as a top ten. Uh, closer, which people really they're looking at him for that because he plays for the Cubs, but I think he could actually surprise some people. He's got great uh, swing and miss stuff. He's got real home run issues. Yeah. I've been following Brandon Morrow since the minors. But uh, I mean, in terms of hitters, how about how about my how about guy Marcelo Zuna? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how about uh, how about Yelich going to the Brewers? I think he could have a phenomenal year um, playing in that ballpark. Um, you know, a guy that we knew, you know, with the Marlins played very well. But I think going there, I think he could actually, you know, put up some real, real good numbers. It's interesting you bring that up because I was going to say Travis Shaw, who's yeah, on the Brewers. That lineup's getting better, and yeah. he should be more motivated. He was, last year, he had a great season. Nobody knows who Travis Shaw is. He had no. 31 home runs, 120 no. RBIs last year, bat 290. Nobody, nobody knows who this guy is because he plays in Milwaukee. Yeah. Now he's got some padding around him in the lineup. Uh-huh. Ira, what about you? I know you're not a big fantasy base. You love fantasy football. Not a big fantasy baseball guy, but you study the sport intently. If you had to pick a breakout candidate, who would it be? I, I'm going to go a different direction. I, I think that this is the year that some of these veterans that people forgot have been around, that they forget, you know, they just whatever. Because then now it's someone else that who's the newest young guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Baseball's going young. I, I like, I'm telling you, I think Matt Kemp's going to have a big year. And I think Ooh. you're going to be a fantasy draft. And, and this guy's made a lot of money, but he looks phenomenal. I mean, I. 
all this nutrition we're seeing as we talked about this in mm. other sports just because people seem to have that downturn in their career like the you know the Federers I really think that some of these players that have the skill level the intelligence the Tiger Woods I mean all this is coming back I mean, Matt Kemp is an extremely talented baseball player that's why they paid him a fortune and he didn't earn any of that money but I look for him to come back <laughs> yeah. this year and I think Longoria going to San Francisco is also going to have a yeah. huge year yeah. I think you're getting some of these players out of these markets I don't know about McCutcheon I'm not about to say McCutcheon but I think Longoria going to San Francisco is going to be a huge Agreed. With you wholeheartedly there. Uh, McCutcheon's lost a step, and literally, and speed doesn't come back a- as you get older. No. Um, before we wrap this up, guys, I want to talk uh, just quickly about over-under wins. I think baseball is one of the easiest sports to pick an over-under on wins, and it makes some money in Vegas. Uh, I refuse to choose one team to totally obliterate what Vegas is predicting they'll win this year. What do you think? This is a crazy pick, but... I- the Pirates are at 73. I just don't think they're 73. I think they're 81. Like, they're a 500 team. Like, I don't, they're not going to be, I just think they're going to hang around. I don't think they're 73. 73. The Marlins are at 65. The Marlins are terrible. The yeah. Pirates, the Pirates still have Harrison, Polanco, Marte. Like, they have players. Like, they know how to play baseball. Like, yeah. I just don't think they're a 73 team. So I would say over for the Pirates on that one. And I, and I do, I, you know, I hate, I love Houston so much that at the 96 and a half, the over under for Houston's 97, I think they're going to go over. They're going to go over. They're, they're going to win 100, 100 games. Yeah, they're going to win 100 games. You guys want to take that bet right now? I, I'm never betting any teams winning 97 games before the season starts. I'm just not going to do it. I don't care who you are. Um, Sean, what about you? I mean, I'm really taking a look at, at, at a few of these teams. Like Kansas City's at 71 games. Yeah. They were the, this, the World Series champ two years ago. You lost oh. Eric Hosmer, who I think is overrated anyways. Yep. Now you're a 10-game uh, you know, under 500 team? I don't buy that. Sean, what about you? I mean, you know, I want to go really out on the ledge because I think they have a lot of young talent. Don't do and Cincinnati. I, and no, no, and I think, <laughs> I think they're going to bring a lot of them up. Um, and I'll go with the White Sox. You know, no, I, 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 I think, think I think the White Scott, White Sox could win over seventy games. They're sitting at sixty eight right now in the last odds, and I, I just think that you know Machado, uh, Kopech, uh, Kope- Michael Kopech, yeah, yeah Kopech coming out. I mean, I think they have some pieces there where you get a young team. You know, especially in those dog days of summer. Um, you know, I think that there could be some sort of excitement on the south side of Chicago, and they could win more than sixty eight games. Ira, where are you headed? Do you, you, some weeks you don't know, and you just kind of figure it out as you go. What's your plans for this week? Oh, we're well, definitely t- um, tennis. I want this is this is to me. This is a good. This is. I just love being there. I know that this tournament is missing. There's superstars. There's no Nadal. There's no Federer. There's no Djokovic. But I just love the tennis. I'll be there this weekend. I think it's a great thing to go and watch. And and it's only there's so few tournaments in the United States. That's usually an international event. So mm-hmm. you have the Miami. You have an Indian Wells and a couple smaller tournaments in the big U.S. Open. But during the year, there's this very very hard to watch tennis, so I, I enjoy it. We're lucky here in South Florida to have the best tournament right here in the backyard. I want to thank Mike Iavarone, owner of Big Brown, for stopping by Ira on Sports. Sean LaGrega as well. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's catch up next Monday night on Ira on Sports.